Okay, uh, we have a few visitors here today, so I should explain that for the last, uh, I think it's 20 weeks, we've been going through the, the book of Mark, Mark's um, experience of Jesus Christ, and every week we've added a different tile until we get uh, to the cross and beyond. Um, so, um, we've been, I think last week was the last week, Dennis uh, spoke to us, and the last verse of Mark, in fact, is this one. Final verse is, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So that's the end of the book of Mark. And I thought before I go into talk about it, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about this path and whether that 20 weeks has actually been of any benefit to us at all as we've followed that through or whether you have made a journey of faith or whether there's things that we can learn from this. But before I do so, I thought it was a bit confusing because sometimes you look in the Bible and you'll find that verse 8 doesn't look like the last verse. So in my Bible, for example, next slide, Dennis. Uh, it's a little small to see, but you can see that at least that there's no change in the font there at all. It just looks like one continuous story. If you look very closely, you'll see some brackets around verses 9 to 20. Other versions uh, have something like this. and They just say the shorter ending of Mark or the longer ending of Mark. As if it's make your own adventure, like which one would you prefer? Short one, long one. So I thought I should explain why those verses are in the Bible and how we know that verse 8, they were trembling and afraid, is actually the last one. So very quickly I'm going to look at first the manuscript evidence. You'll know, or, or perhaps you don't, that the Bible originally, the New Testament, was, was written in Greek. We have an English translation thereof. And so what, the translation is made from these manuscripts. The earliest manuscripts of Mark we have are two uh, particular large manuscripts. One's this one. This is called Codex Vaticanus. That's because it ended up in the Vatican Library. But if I was to walk up there, you would see... You see this word here is actually the word they were fearful. That's e that, this word is phobo, you know the fear word, so it's e phobo uh, ento. And it says at the end, according to Mark. And then up here, you can't see up the top, but it's actually the um, good news according to Luke. So no room for any extras. The second one is the Codex Sinaiticus. Um, this is a similar age, and again, you can see that word, Ephobunto, right up the top there, and, and Gar, which is the last word. And here we have, it's pretty poor um, looking, but um, yeah, the Gospel according to Mark, and up there it says according to Luke. So there's no doubt these are the earliest manuscripts we have in the New Testament. There's no doubt that it ended at verse 8. Not only that, when they translated the Greek into other languages, because people obviously wanted to have it in their language, Latin and so on, the oldest Latin manuscripts uh, finish at verse 8. The oldest Syriac manuscripts end at verse 8. The oldest um, Palestinian Aramaic ones end at, at verse 8 the oldest Armenian and Georgian and so on. So you can see that originally it ended at verse 8, but it's quite an abrupt end, and I think that's uh, part of the problem. So that's the manuscript evidence. There's also some internal evidence. If you look very closely, I don't know how often you've read the last, book of Mark, or the last few verses of Mark, but you'll see that it's, it's a bit jarring. For example, from verse 8 to verse 9, next one, Dennis, um, there's a change in subject. And verse 8 says, they went out, to fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the subject, they. And the next verse just comes, now after he had risen. 
no introduction. But the, so that's a bit of a, a jarring note. Secondly, there's also things that have been said already are repeated. In verse 2 it said that it was very early on the first day of the week, but this document from verse 9 says, now after he had risen early on the first day of the week. Needless repetition, which seems to indicate it's an addition. Next one, uh, Mary Magdalene is introduced in verse 2, and yet she's seemingly reintroduced in verse 9. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So it's almost like this was written and sort of patched in to the, to the end of Mark, but is not authentically part of it. The other internal evidence is just Mark's style. So in those verses, I think it's, what is it, from verse 9 to 20, it's 11 verses, 18 words are used that Mark never uses anywhere else in Scripture. And one word of the disciples that he never uses anywhere. And also, Mark has a peculiar um, style. If you read through the book of Mark, you'll know that it's lots of activity happening all the time. And so the way Mark conveys that is the word and. So it just runs on, it goes, this happened and, and then they went there, and then, and then, and then. So that I think in 20 verses, Mark uses the word and 35 times. That, that's not as clear from the English because they try and make it smoother, but in the Greek, it's all over. Whereas in these verses, that doesn't happen. There's a different Greek word, which um, is the word for but, that's used quite a lot. So there's no doubt, there's no doubt in any way from manuscript or from internal evidence uh, that it's not the word of God. Why are they there? They're there simply because it's a historical a legacy of history, I guess. In the past, people didn't have those oldest manuscripts. They had later manuscripts, which tend to, um, tend to be a bit fuller. So people will add a bit from another gospel because, oh, they missed that bit about what happened to Jesus then. And so it appears that these were much later manuscripts. And so they thought that was scripture. But then we can now be very confident, having found the earliest manuscripts, that the word of God finishes at verse 8. Um, they, of what value are they? I mean, what difference does it make? It's not going to change your life if you read the last few verses and um, are very close to that. Um, but really there's nothing in there because if you take a close analysis, you'll find that most of that has actually come from other Gospels. So they've said, well, Mark's finished his Gospel. It's not a very smooth ending. Let's write a little paragraph that just says what happened after that. And so you'll have the resurrection and so on. Um, who use it? In all the time I've been reading books and had them quoted, these guys. Yeah, you can play that one, Dennis. If it plays. If not, it doesn't matter. What's that? I could act that out. So this is a snake handling church in, the, in America. Because in verse 18 it says, that, or 17, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. So a whole denomination is based on this verse. Uh, so that's, it's quoted, quoted by those guys. Quite a lot, in fact, it's probably the only verse they really specialise in. It's used by Pentecostals a lot because especially those who believe that you need to speak in tongues to really be a Christian because these verses, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will place hands on sick people and they will get well. So this makes explicit what you would say in the New Testament is implicit. You can find that Christians um, have a variety of gifts including speaking of tongues but this really nails it 
So Pentecostals very keen to hold on to this bit of mark. And the third kind of people are people who believe that baptism um, affects your salvation. So this particular verse, whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. Uh, that's a great little verse. You probably won't find it as explicitly. Again, you'll find it maybe implicitly about being baptised and your sins being washed away. Uh, but that's why they, they hold on to that. So I guess, um, as I said, it's because there was a rough ending that therefore this new ending, and that I've talked about the long ending, there's a short ending and there's a third ending that appears in some manuscripts. But they're all very late. They've all been added very late. Uh, so you might think that it's uh, a bit jarring, that end, a bit, a bit rough. But Richard A. Burridge says this about Mark. And he takes us back to the beginning of Mark's Gospel where Jesus isn't introduced at all. He just suddenly appears. There's no birth. There's no wise men. There's none of the first part of his life. It just says now he went up to John and got baptised. So Richard Burridge says this. Mark's narrative as, we now ha as it now ends, as abruptly as... Uh, sorry. Mark's narrative as we now have it, as we have it now, ends as abruptly as it began. There was no introduction or background to Jesus' arrival and none for his departure. No one knew where he came from, no one knows where he's gone, and not many understood him when he was here. And so he says something very interesting because it ties in with our pathway, if you like, this, this Mark's gospel and the pathway. Mark's story of Jesus becomes a story of his followers and their story becomes the story of the readers. So it's left ambiguous at the end. He says, whether they will follow or desert, believe or misunderstand, see him in Galilee or remain staring blindly in a empty tomb, depends on us. So in Mark's narrative, that word fear that, that it ends, up, ends on is a very common word and it's also catalytic because you'll find that there are moments where his disciples feared for example, with the um, calming of the storm, for example. Do you remember that? He calmed the storm. It says they were very afraid. And they said, who is this man? So fear was actually the, the, was able to project them into faith. Who is this man that can do this? On the other hand, with the, um, the Gerizim demoniac, remember that man that was um, fully engulfed by uh, demons? Uh, his name was Legion. Well, the disciples were afraid, and when they saw Jesus cure him, they were afraid. And that was, again, a catalyst for faith. But for the people who lived in the neighbourhood, it said they were fearful, and they said, Jesus, go away. So fear can work in two different ways, and that's the way that, that um, Mark uses it here. And that's the way, really, that we enter into faith. The Bible says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It was uh, Peter, when he was fishing, um, it said he'd been fishing all night and he'd got nothing. And then in the morning, uh, Jesus said, put on your nets on the other side. And morning, no way an experienced fisherman would put out his nets in the morning, but he does. And they become full of fish. And it says, Peter was afraid. And it says that he said, as a result of his fear, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Isn't that interesting? That fear can be a catalyst for faith and, and to actually think about where is my life going who is this person that we're talking about so the path we've talked about it for 20 weeks we've talked about it from the beginning from the baptism of John to his resurrection and uh, obviously it goes on after that but what does it mean for us what was what was the path for Jesus because I reckon if we looked at this path it looks pretty it looks 
pretty uniform. But to those looking at Jesus, it would have seemed pretty strange. One minute he's picking up a child on his knee, next minute he's going to the temple and whipping people and throwing tables about. But what makes it a straight line is that the path is really God's will. God's will is the path, and that goes in a straight line, and Jesus followed it perfectly from his beginning and from the baptism uh, and his ministry up to the end and beyond. He said, I live to do the Father's will. My bread is to, do, uh, is to do what the Father asks. God's will is the path. So the question for us is, well, what about us and the path? I thought it would be um, quite interesting if we uh, had a look at, I'm just going to cherry pick really a few verses from First Peter. You might know that Mark's story, the bits where uh, other, he wasn't there as a witness, came from Peter. So Peter was his um, source. So I'm going to take some verses from 1 Peter and they'll be up here on the screen. But Peter says this, he said, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Jesus did God's will perfectly and now we're asked, or we're invited, uh, there's no coercion, but we're invited to follow in his steps, just as he did. And where did they start? Well, I guess they started here. This is a picture of John the Baptist at his baptism. Our Christian life starts when we are born again and so the Spirit of God comes upon us and as Jesus, as was involved with Jesus, there's a Spirit of God and water baptism. That's the conventional way for Christians to, to start walking that path. Spirit of God, we're born again, we're changed and we evidence that change and that we're walking in Jesus' footsteps by dying to ourselves in former baptism, we go under the water, we come up to a resurrection and living a new life. That's the beginning of the path. So when do you start the path? No time is a bad time to start walking that path, is it? You're never too old, uh, you're never too young. But I would say, I mean, I started when I was 17, um, really seeking God. But I would say that if you're, if you're 14, 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, if you're here and you're that age, that's a great time to begin thinking about your life and whether this path is worth taking. Because I reckon by the time you're 12 and 13, you're no longer a child. By the time you're 12 or 13 or 14, you're starting to think a bit. And it's a great time to reach out to God and work out where your life is going. And you start by prayer and you start by using um, God's word. This is what um, Peter says. He says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for the pure milk of the word. That's great to start reading God's word, praying to him if you're of that age group or you're 65 and you haven't walked the path yet this is a great place to start pray to God ask him tell him you want to know him tell him you want to know about the path and start reading his word because it says that the expectation is that we will grow the expectation is that we will grow and this pathway uh, is an indication of that and the way the Bible speaks about our life is walking in other words we're not in a static position maybe some people feel I become a Christian I'm born again and I'm baptised, I give my life to God and that's it. And then there's somewhere down the end is heaven, that comes at the end of my life and I go to glory. The Christian life isn't like that. The Christian life is a progressive one where we move and we walk forward as the Holy Spirit reveals things to us.
And so you may find if you're a new Christian, uh, and maybe there's uh, evidence of it when Jacob came here, when you're a new Christian, you may pass people on the path that have been Christians for a very long time. Because what you're doing is you're absorbing God's word and his spirit and you're reacting to it <coughs> and your life is changing. And so you can move at quite a rapid pace as you get to know, know God and be closer to him. So you may pass people on the road. Maybe some Christians have been up this part. Maybe some Christians have got to this point but have never been baptised. They, they believe they're Christians. Maybe they grew up in a, a Christian home but they've never received baptism. What should they do? My advice would be, if I could moonwalk, I'd moonwalk back there, but I'll step back. It's to go back to the beginning. It's to go back to the beginning uh, and be baptised. Just as Jesus did and just as he asked us to do, to make disciples and baptise them and then to, again, walk up the road of God's will. <clears throat> what about if we fall off the path what about if we fall off the path? We started as a Christian and somewhere, somehow, <clears throat> we end up over here. What do we do? You know, some of us in this place might be like that. We might have had that experience. We walked off the path for whatever reason. Was it because you got distracted because things were so busy and hectic that you began to think that life just took over and no longer were you forming a, a longing for the word? but you were just busy in your life and you were, after a while you weren't thinking about God too much. And so you're over here. Perhaps you married a non-believer and so in your home there's nothing there to really encourage you. In fact, it's, it's more decays your faith. Perhaps that's happened. Perhaps you've fallen into sin. So perhaps you've, you've gone, off, gone off the rails, if you like, gone off the path to such an extent, and your life has been such a mess, you just think, I don't think God uh, would ever, I don't think I'm, I'm ever destined to, to walk that path, I don't think I ever can. Again, Peter tells us. Uh, now, Peter should know, shouldn't he? Peter's had this experience of um, leaving God, of, of denying Christ. But this is his understanding. He says, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. There's opportunity to return to the path. I would encourage anyone in that situation, come up to the path, start at the beginning, pray, talk to God. If you've never had an experience of receiving the Holy Spirit and being born again, that's what you need to do, to start walking this path. But walk on this path knowing that he is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like the harsh, harsh, judgmental Christ that will say to you, why weren't you walking for the last 20 years or 30 years or 40 years? Now you'll be embraced by the shepherd and guardian of your souls because the shepherd seeks the straying sheep and he searches until he finds it and brings it back. You can come back to the path. Sometimes um, you're off the path and you just don't realise it. I reckon people like Jared and Louise are like this. There's nothing that will get people's attention more than when you mention their name in church. They go, what did he just say? <laughs> I reckon Jared and Louise are like this. I reckon Bill and Lynn are like this. That they were off the path but they didn't know it. They wanted to serve God and they, wanted to, and they loved God and they were seeking him. But they, had, they were not on the path and God brought them to the path. And uh, Julie too. 
What a great experience that is. What a great, a lot of trials, Jesus said, um, he suffered and we're going to walk in his steps. These guys have suffered because you leave your family and your friends behind. So much emotion, uh, effects that will last probably for the rest of your life in, in terms of relationships that are broken and can't ever come back. But would you rather be off the path, Julie? You'd rather be on the path, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Jaron always, would you rather be on the path? Yeah, there's nothing compares to being on the path of God's will because God's will is the one that will make us whole. One that will, will mean that we can resist temptation and we can go through suffering uh, knowing what is ahead of us. What a great experience it is to be off the path and, and find him. I think, I think of you, Tina. Th three years ago, didn't know God, now knows God. I mean, what a wonderful thing that is to come to the guardian and shepherd of your soul without even knowing that there is a guardian and a shepherd around. I mean, what a fulfilling thing that is. So, where does the path lead? Peter tells us something else that's really important to keep in mind. Next slide. He said, since you have... Oh, sorry. Let's, let's go back a bit. We're not walking this road alone. So much of our life is about individuality, isn't it? So much of our society is about individuality. And lots of Christians, for lots of Christians, it's about individuality. I was saved in 1955, and I'm on my way to heaven. I don't go to church these days, don't need it. I find online is, is good enough for me. But, you know, I've got the greatest relationship with God there could ever be, and things are sweet. That's not God's design. God's design is for us to walk together on this path of doing God's will in a group like this where we mutually encourage each other and care for one another. He says this, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Love one another from the heart. This is a journey we go as a collective where we don't, we're not, we don't care, it's not that we, we're not the sort of people that will not care if someone's back here. We're the sort of people that will say, can I help that person to get closer to what God's will? Can I bring more happiness and joy into their life by helping them to understand and know God better? We're not happy if someone's ahead of us or behind us, but we want to go collectively. Peter said this, and this is a great antidote to our individuality. You are not a chosen person, not a royal priest, not a person for God's own possession. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. For you were once not a people. That's true. We were once individuals. But now you are the people of God. You have received, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's true, isn't it? We are the people of God. We need each other. And we need to care each other. And if you're walking this path as a singular person, you need to stop and reflect and you need to, to get involved with other people and you need to care for them and ask the Holy Spirit to give you that fervent love that he offers. And he says, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. I mean, that's the purpose, isn't it? As we walk this path, Jesus didn't walk this path to being uh, killed without teaching, without teaching about God, not only in what he said, but in what he did. We need to walk that path too, don't we? 
We need to declare the excellencies of God and not just in our conduct but also in our words. Ask yourself, where would you be if someone hadn't shared the good news with someone? Might, have been, might not be you, it might be your parent or your friend or someone else. Uh, again, I think of Tina, I think of a lovely lady who shared the gospel with Tina three years ago. Can't do much, she's sort of bed-bound or house-ridden, but has such a love for God, she would not take no for an answer, would she, Tina? <laughs> she would not take no for an answer. She's, she's a woman walking that path of Christ and knows that it's not about her. It's about sharing this great good news about Jesus Christ. And, and where does the path go? Next verse, Dennis. Peter says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not to be in the short term or the mid term. Just like Jesus that saw the joy beyond the cross, uh, our ambition is to fix our eyes on the, on the grace that Christ will bring with him, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Imagine that day. Think about that day daily. Think about it. Christ is coming back. He didn't die in a tomb. He ascended to heaven at the right hand of God. He was given a name above every other name. He sent the Holy Spirit to perfect us and change us and get us ready as a people of God and he will meet us uh, when, in his own time. I mean, doesn't that put all of our troubles into some kind of, uh, I can't even think what the word is now, it, but in relationship to that, we understand that, don't we? Our, our troubles, Paul said, are momentary and light. Well, they're not momentary and light when you're in them, are they? Husbands left you, boyfriends left you, financial collapse, sickness, whatever. They're not minor things, but they are in comparison with the good things that God has ahead of us. So our encouragement is to keep on, start on the path. If you haven't started on the path, start on the path. If you've got off the path, get back on the path and keep moving forward. There will be deficiencies that you will notice in your character or in, uh, in your way of life that, you'll, that, that God will bring to your mind, either through the Holy Spirit directly or through his word. We need to listen to those and walk confidently, walk the same road that Jesus uh, walked until his death and his resurrection, just as the same life that we have ahead of us. After the um, service, we're going to sing a song uh, which is about baptism, isn't it? I will rise, it says, I will rise. It's about that identification with Christ. It begins at baptism, but it never ends. We continue to suffer as Jesus did and then to rise in this new life and to keep this new life going. As you sing this song, think about your life, where it is, where you want it to be and what needs to change today. Don't put it in your diary for next year, January the 1st, today. What's going to change today in your life to walk the path that Jesus did? And if you'd like some prayer, uh, a couple of us will be in that little cry room after the service, let's say the 10 minutes straight after the service. If you'd like to come in for prayer because you're thinking about starting the path or you've gone off the path or you'd like to know more about God's will, uh, please join us in there. But I think we're going to sing, I will rise. So if you'd like to stand, if you'd like to rise, we will sing. Lord, those words are so true, aren't they? Prone to wander. And so happens that so many other things can take our attention and take our focus. We thank you that we have the example of Jesus Christ who walked this life in perfect obedience 
and uh, to finally to the cross and then to back to heaven with the glory he had before given a name above every other name and just bringing blessing to all peoples father i pray for those today who haven't yet started on this pathway they might be on the live stream they might might be at church here today or they might be at home or somewhere else i pray that you would plant in them a desire a desire to know you to really work out what life is about and start off life in the best way i pray for teenagers who uh, have all sorts of uh, conflicting desires and a world that looks uh, so attractive out there i pray again that you would through your spirit awaken in them uh, a desire for you and for the things of god i pray for those who have uh, gone off this pathway through whatever circumstance difficult circumstances difficult people in their lives um, just any number of different reasons father i pray that you would again use your spirit today this moment to awaken or feed that desire they already have when we're off the path we know that uh, we're feeling that something is not right please accentuate that feeling and point them in the right direction point them here to our church father so that we can look after them and care for them and get them back on the path and i pray for those who've been on the path for a long time i just pray that you would give us the fortitude to keep going and to not stagnate and to not stop but to keep moving forward walking in the spirit as you have designed us to be i pray for those who have left um, situations at great cost think of those uh, in our church who have left groups uh, and other groups which meant that they're being shunned or uh, that the old friendships are not there again father if possible restore some of those relationships and may these people be the vehicle for those others to come to know you more fully we thank you for your guiding spirit um, it never goes wrong it never leads us astray it never points us in the wrong direction you are our caretaker great shepherd of our souls and we commit ourselves to you may you look after us as a church may you join us together closely may you bond us closely may they not be words that we talk about a fervent love but a feeling an emotion that we feel inside and may we walk together so that we can enjoy together the joy of knowing jesus when he returns and all the excitement that we will be we want to be here among our friends and family we pray this uh, knowing that it's your will in jesus name amen